We are covering artificial intelligence as it applies to the legal world. Probably the most talked about issue in 2023. A lot of question marks. Frankly, the dangers of it, I, I, I don't know. We call that a lose-lose. I would want to own that copyright. It's a level of human input. Sound Smart Business, where your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stomp, cover business in the news and add their awesome legal twist. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast brought to you by Pasha Law PC, a law firm representing your business in California, Illinois, New York, and Texas. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Staub. Welcome to our podcast. Today, we are covering artificial intelligence as it applies to the legal world. Um, one of the big news for this particular podcast, it's this is entirely generated by AI. I'm talking my image. Everything here is completely artificially, uh, uh, ar- through artificial intelligence generated. It's kind of a new technology. What do you guys think so far? You know, what's disappointing is I actually came with the exact same joke or same line <laughs> I was going to use. And you stole <laughs> it from me. Well, uh, uh. great minds think alike. Yeah, great comedians too, as well. I don't know. I I don't know if we can consider ourselves comedians. We try, but it's. I mean, for 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 attorneys, I think we can probably justify it. But in the general population, I don't think so. Maybe uh, in the realm of dad jokes. uh, Yeah, that's true. That is true. Okay, so I'll I'll take I'll take that from that from that standard. I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. Um, So so this is really me. as far as you can tell, in reality, maybe 10 years from now, you wouldn't be able to tell. But uh, we are going to be covering probably the most talked about issue in 2023, which is AI, artificial intelligence. I think the last time we had this kind of topic from a legal perspective to really parse out and hash out like this was probably for COVID-19. In fact, I think we did a whole episode on all the legal implications of COVID-19, everything from working in the you know, working from home and the vaccinations and these kind of things. But artificial intelligence in particular has brought in all these new legal issues. And uh, one thing that we said back in COVID, if you recall, Matt, like, even though it's bringing on new issues, it's still based upon old law. And this is what happens with technology, you know, or a new pandemic is that the law is slow to adjust. And so there's going to be things that are based upon you know, what's happened in the past to build analogies to apply to the future. And so we're going to talk about everything from copyright law to using AI in the workplace and some mishaps in using AI in, in business. Right. I mean, it's, it's similar to any emerging technology. This is very, I mean, at this point, very much on the forefront. Um, you know, sometimes we try to do podcasts that are evergreen. This one's obviously not going to be, if, if you listen to this a year from now, I imagine it's going to be much different, the things we would say now versus, you know, 12 months from now. So it's definitely something that's still emerging. We're still learning. The loss very far behind, as you said, but we're, we're going to at least try to place you in where it is right now today. 
and go right. from there. Yeah. So let's get started. So first, let's just talk about some of the things that AI has been doing, spe specifically in the workplace or as it applies to law. The first thing I like to tell people in the very beginning is that uh, when it comes to generative AI, uh, most people know this already, but I'm going to state it anyway, just to level set, is that AI can produce what are called hallucinations. That is, they're saying something that seems like a statement of fact that is absolutely true, but is completely untrue. And what's crazy about this is that if you don't do your research and actually double check these things, you can fall into a really bad trap. And that's what happened in a couple cases in the actual court of law when attorneys actually relied upon artificial intelligence. Yeah, that's that's the big thing is there's there's this new tool that's out there and every, you know, whether it's in the workplace or not, people got a hold of it and like, oh, this is great. I can cut my, you know, time I have to work on something in half or even, you know, my efficiency is going to be much greater. But like you said, you can't rely on this 100%. You still have to double check your work. And there's a couple stories uh, that we're, we're definitely going to talk about on the legal side of things. But it's not a, it's, it's not a cheat code, I guess you could say. It, it's something that I look at it kind of a, an assist. It can assist you with things, but it's not an end-all, be-all at the end of the day. And at least not yet. I mean, I've, obviously, yet. It's, right, getting, right. it's getting so much better, um, even uh, there's a huge difference, for example, when it comes to hallucinations between ChatGPT3 and GPT4. And that's, of course, one generated model. All, there's plenty of others, Google Bard, et cetera. And so, um, but in particular, when this, this, this came out back in June of June or so earlier of this year. And so think about it, like, I think GPT came out to the public, I want to say sometime in the late of the first quarter of this year. And, and so it was still relatively new, especially when it comes to lawyers actually using it in the real world or anyone in business using it in the real world. And it was a personal injury attorney, no offense, <laughs> not too <laughs> surprised about that, but um, a, a person in a personal injury lawsuit within the actual court documents, apparently, uh, the attorney referred to, I believe, more than one case, at least one of the right. cases. Uh, of a court case for some kind of legal precedent that did not even exist. And of course, it's like, um, how did that happen? Well, very simply, he had ChatGPT write his pleading for him, and he didn't check the citation or actually check if that case existed. Yeah, so I I think you agree. I, I find this very funny in general. Um, yeah. I mean, I have a couple questions. One, I can't imagine it's, I mean, well, this will be quick, but I can't imagine it's something he hadn't done previously. So I, I would imagine he could have pulled from a previous case that, right. you know, a previous filing he would have done and just used that. But that, that's aside. But yeah, it's it's cited cases that didn't even exist. Um, he brought <laughs> brought it to the court, did it, and then he, you know, he kind of. I looked into it a little bit more. He um, it, essentially he admitted to what he did and thought that his understanding was he could type in this information, it would give him uh, valid cases, valid case law he could cite. And he actually, I don't know what the end result was, but he had to go back and uh, explain to the court why he shouldn't be sanctioned for this, which, I mean, in my opinion, he should be because it's kind of ridiculous. You, Like we said from the beginning, you have to double check it at this point. You can't just rely on everything and assume that it's going to be 100% accurate. And, and the reality is it, it's just 
it's just interesting because even if you were having a human being doing it, um, yeah. and like, so like, for example, like a calculator. So if I put in two plus two, like I'm very certain that that, that calculator is going to put in the correct result. And, but at the same time, I also understand that there's, 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 it's still subject to human error. In other words, did I put it in correctly? Am I still checking to see, make sure that, you know, especially if a calculator that shows that in the same way, if a human being produces a pleading, I'm, I'm still checking to make sure that, you know, this is, this is correct. This makes sense. The case reference is actually correct. And so with that information together, if you have a bit of knowledge of how AI works, which is, and we're going to talk about copyright use in, in, in a little bit here, but when the AI modeling goes out into the world and grabs these massive data sets, um, those data sets could have inaccuracies because it's all produced by humans. And then on top of that, if it's a generative AI that is designed to create, and I think that's something that people don't realize is that, um, you know, there's, it's not a, uh, it has different purposes. In other words, it's literally able to generate information and it uses that information based upon its trading data. So because of how you ask the prompt in the uh, chat GPT or, or others, it may think that you're being creative. It's like, you know, I, I've done this with the kids. I don't know if you've tried this. It's a good, by the way, if anyone hasn't done this, you should definitely try it is I'm getting on a tangent here, but um, <laughs> I, I, I asked my kids, it's a good bedtime story. You ask them, okay, let me tell you a story. What are some things that you want in it? And you can actually ask ChatGPT to uh, uh, create a bedtime story for kids of this age. You can put in certain character names that you want in there or other kind of subject matters. Like, I don't know, my daughters always want a unicorn in there, for example. And, you, and, and it creates these amazing kids' stories. I mean, it's really just incredible. But obviously, it's just, it's just made up. And so when you combine this made up kind of generated creative thought with um, fact finding things that things like this, sometimes the AI doesn't know what you're looking for and you have to specify that. And so in a lot of ways, you can actually use the tool to generate these briefings, but you know how to, you need to know how to use it just like any tool. It's basically uh, it's, it's Mad Libs, but a good version of it, essentially. hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> so the other big story was with the Fugees. Um, apparently one of the members, I don't know who this was, is, I don't know if you know who this guy is. Pross Michael? Michel? All I know is I believe Fuji's is Lauren Hill, isn't it? I think. that's I, My knowledge is limited on this. I've, I've like uh, pop culture and sports. Uh, you lost me at hello there. So, um, so anyways, so Pross is a member of the Fuji's. He was apparently found guilty in a criminal case for multiple political conspiracy charges. And so what's interesting here is that um, he's basically filing an appeal or making a claim for ineffective assistance of counsel. So essentially in criminal law, if you have an attorney that is really horrible and messes up your case, you can actually, that is a basis for an appeal. Um, so, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a, it happens once in a while, but you know, usually it's things like, you know, my, my attorney fell asleep during the trial or, or just completely yeah. missed a big issue or, or things like that. In this case, what he's alleging is that this attorney used this proprietary program called iLevel.ai, which, by the way, most of these AI companies are just tapping into the API of ChatGPT. I don't know if anyone <laughs> knew that, but that's that's 90% of the companies out there. But basically, 
this attorney used this company or this software to generate a closing argument. And within the closing argument uh, process or process attorneys alleged that it made frivolous arguments, it uh, misunderstood the basic elements of the case, and also neglected to mention some of the flawed uh, arguments or evidence of the government's case. So in other words, was a bad closing argument. Uh, it's definitely something interesting of first, you know, something we haven't seen before. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in what this attorney even inputted into this I-level AI to even draft this closing statement. I mean, it's like, I, I don't, I don't know how you even, you can't, you can't take everything from a full trial and encompass it into one kind of input on on some sort of AI algorithm and get something. There's so many facts obviously went into this. I just, it's, and then he, he had to have gotten it too. You know, he got whatever the result was. Do you not read it before you go into it? You look at it and think that's okay. Okay, we'll just, we'll just roll with this. It's, there's a lot of questions I have on this. I don't, I think it's a relatively uh, recent article at this point, but it's uh, a lot of question marks. So I'm, I'm, if you go to the website now, and I hate to put it on blast, but frankly, I'm not the one that did it. Um, this guy from the Fugees did it. But um, this iLevel.ai, it, it's interesting because they focus on the truth of the data in the sense that that's, it's, their tagline is build truthful AI. And the primary goal there is to basically prevent hallucinations. And then not only that is some of the things that they seem to be kind of focused on is, um, and see, by the way, I was right. It says train with GPT-4. I'm pretty sure that that's how they hooked everything up. But um, they they seem to be have a specific tool for legal. You're able mm-hmm. to yeah. you know gather thousands or even not millions of documents and be able to uh, explore complex theories among that, which it's interesting because um, I know a little bit about that. When you're dealing with large amounts of data, Unless they're actually using that data to train, which a lot of these guys don't do that, especially if you're using GPT-4, what they do is they have to take all this information in chunks. And so, for example, if you were to ask a question or want some kind of insight over millions of documents, in order to actually do it, it has to go chunk by chunk to kind of look for that question and then put all that information together. And so if you think about it, and this is just a limitation of how the technology currently works, token limits, and so forth. And if you think about it, it it's, it's like saying, okay, 10 people go out, you re- everyone read a chapter of the book, and then you all 10 of you come back and let's piece that all together. You can understand how that, that process is inherently flawed in the sense that you know, one chapter doesn't understand the context of another chapter. And unless it's kind of learning off the other one, then it, you know, and and honestly, most AI models, especially in practical application, works that way. There are exceptions. And as, as the technology gets better and better, you can have an AI model that looks at the entire you know, body of data. But I don't think we're quite there yet, which is why it makes it dangerous to kind of rely upon this too much. Yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking at the site as well now. Um, they do. It's basically kind of every stage of the litigation process. But again, the... <laughs> The closing argument, you got to have, uh, it's so fact, everything's going to be so fact specific. I just don't, I mean, at this point in time, I don't know how you, how it's going to be able to draft something that's going to be beneficial to you. Like you said, there's factual inaccuracies. 
Yeah. I mean, that's just a major, a major misstep by this attorney. But as anyone that's listened to this podcast, we, we love attorney missteps. So it's, uh, yeah, we, we had to cover these. It is strange because in a closing argument, I mean, you're, it's not like you're, you're part of the case by the end of the case, you know, the case is just as well right. as <laughs> right. any computer, um, maybe for an opening statement. I don't know, but, um, it, it, there's some, and by the way, like, I know we're giving them a hard time. I wouldn't be surprised if the closing argument was just fine. And a lot of these kind of ineffective assistance of counsel cases are um, often they're not successful. Right. Um, I think it takes a lot for that to actually occur because, look, I mean, you have a jury that actually uh, uh, the assumption is a jury that actually found uh, this guy guilty for this. And so I doubt it's it was won or lost just because of the closing argument. Yeah, I'm, I'm maybe, also who knows. I'm also, you know, you're right. And I'm also curious how they even found who the, this, the one singer even found out about this, I guess it's, I don't. Yeah. How did, yeah. How did he know that that was written that way? Um, yeah. Maybe the attorney told him. Yeah. I don't know. Oh. So let's switch gears. Um, so we talked about kind of the AI use in the courtroom, but what about, I think one of the big things that came up this last summer is the strikes of this, the SAG and um, AFTR TRA strikes related to all of the riders and these kind of things in, in Hollywood. One of the big issues is the use of AI in writing and even kind of giving credits and these kind of things. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, there was obviously multiple issues with the whole strike. Um, but yeah, this, this right. was a, this was a big component with it because it can take a situation where, you know, if you look at it from the top level and say, well, I can just, take what I kind of want to do, plug it into some sort of AI, you know, whatever chat GBT or whatever you want to use. And they can produce something that's maybe 80%, 90% as good as an actual person I have to pay. Why would I pay for somebody that I could just do this for way cheaper? And so that, that, that was one of the big pushes with this whole strike is some limitations or restrictions on using AI in that context. Right. And they still haven't really negotiated or settled on this AI issue. I think they've resolved some of the other financial aspects of it. Right. Yeah. And I mean, they, they've thrown a lot of interesting ideas. I think where, where they're probably going to be heading towards is that there, there's not going to be a prohibition of the use of AI. But I think, I think the main thing is, is the compensation associated with it. Yeah. In the sense that, again, this, I keep alluding to this, we're going to talk about copyright a little bit later in the show, but um, when it comes to how much human involvement is in pr the production of this product, and even if something is generated by AI, it's still proofread and signed off on by a human being. And if that writer is spending five minutes as opposed to an hour on a project because of AI, essentially what I think the request is that that writer gets the same amount of money regardless, which is not... Um, I was going to say unfair, but I—that's really hard to judge. Uh, I get the argument on both sides. Um, yeah, it's tough. I mean, so think? yeah, so it is—it is very difficult. I mean, uh, and and one concept's going to be enforceability. I don't know how you even just going back to what we were saying earlier. I, I don't know how you even can like if if I was a writer and I took took a script and tried to rewrite it using AI, I don't know how they would ever know. I mean, that's one thing. 
But yeah, let me see some of the, the points they've made. So what they were looking for was AI may not write or rewrite original material, won't be considered source material if they do use AI. Um, the employer can consent to it, but there has to be the consent there. And then a company must disclose if the writer, um, if any materials has been using AI or incorporating AI-generated material. So it's everything you would expect, right, from from the writer's perspective. But I, I do think you're right. It's going to be it's going to be somewhere in the middle between usage and a strict non-usage. What extent they can use it, I think, is going to be the big thing. But we're just going to have to see. We again could be finalized by the time this episode comes out, but at this point, it's still a question mark. Right. And I don't know. I mean, uh, AI is, is is just doing such phenomenal things, but it's just not quite there yet. Yeah. And and I think, like for example, one thing I again when it when it comes to when it comes to writing maybe a five minute script or maybe even a joke, I can see it doing that. Yeah. But being able to create a body of works. Um, it's just uh, as far as what's generally available, and I and, and here's the thing. One thing that kind of was was kind of freaky to me was that when Chat GPT came out, I think everyone was like amazed by it. But then I started thinking about, well, this is what's being made available to the public, and on you know from from that perspective, I'm I'm really curious as to what is not available to us because it requires extra you know extra computing power. Or frankly, the dangers of it. I I, I don't know, but um, anyway, let's we can go on. Um, one of the things that uh, I think everyone's come to realize, especially those that are really diving deep and embracing the AI technology, is that they're using it in every sorts of way. Um, whether it is personally trying to figure out what kind of you know medical treatment they need to. Uh, getting advice on fi finances to revising contract agreements, what have you. But a, a lot of that stuff that you're putting into the prompt is pretty private information. I mean, in fact, uh, very private information to such an extent that some companies have completely prohibited their workers or employees from actually utilizing AI because of this risk. And yeah. there were some real world implications for this. For, for example, Samsung, apparently, they leaked data through ChatGPT for not only some of the meetings that they were having, some code, some, some proprietary information, and Samsung just had to shut it down com completely because of the concerns of, of privacy. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's a story we're looking at too. It's I, I think this is an instance of employees just not knowing the extent of how powerful this tool is. Um, you know, obviously <laughs> I, I, I'm sure there's provisions in their agreement that they have to hold employee, you know, information on the job confidential. Um, so they want to up intentionally type in source code or the meeting recordings was even weirder. I don't know why we, you would ever do that. I guess they're, they're trying oh, to, you know, you know what it is like, uh, has anyone used Fireflies or um, there's others too, but there's something called Fireflies AI. And if you're not familiar, uh, I'll summarize it really quick. So basically on all the Zoom calls and the Google Meets and the what's Microsoft Teams, so basically Fireflies.ai, and that's just one of them, there's, there's others. They'll actually join the meeting for you, or not only for you or in addition to you. 
it'll audio record the meeting and then it'll produce a transcript. And so it'll also submit this information and it uses AI like, and, it, and I'm pretty sure they tap into GPT-4 to summarize, to call it action items and these kind of things. Um, and I believe they use ChatGPT or GPT, the audio um, to transcribe it as well, but I can't verify that. So anyway, I'm pretty sure when they say that um, the meeting recordings, I'm pretty sure that's what was going on is that yeah. you have an internal Samsung meeting and you have a third party in here. And by the way, I've had the same conversation, we've had these same conversations with our clients because if if I'm on a call as an attorney with you know, the CEO and other management and we're having a conversation and we use Fireflies too. We have a third party app that is recording the conversation that's taking basically essentially taking notes for us. Now, because it's an attorney-client communication, that's completely privileged and protected. Mm-hmm. No one can subpoena fireflies.ai to produce the recording of a conversation that I had or Matt had with our clients, unless they are able to find some kind of exception. However, when if you have a board meeting or if you just have a you know executive meeting, et cetera, and Fireflies is on and that call is recorded and an attorney is not on, on the line or doesn't otherwise qualify for an attorney-client communication, that is completely discoverable. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, you, look, everyone understands like when it comes to business, people are careful what they put in writing. Even it used to be like, don't put it in an email, just text me. But now, of course, in, in trial or litigation, people know to um, grab those texts. Then it, was, then it was like, okay, let's use WhatsApp or let's use Telegram. And we've seen in the Trump... Um, uh, 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 Trump hearings, uh, the the court cases surrounding that is that they were actually able to obtain one way or another these Telegram uh, transcripts, and so it, it also became a don't put it in, don't text me, don't write me, don't email me, call me. But then, like, it's funny because these Fireflies.ai and these other bots they join automatically. You you almost forget about it. I mean, I've had multiple instances where you're on a call and then one someone else is like, hey. So and so, do you mind dropping off so we can talk about this, right? Um, because it's something unrelated to that person. Or you know, I've had a board meeting where um, someone had to, someone was had a conflict, and we were going to talk about an issue that is related to him. So he he got off the board, but a, the fireflies was still on, which he would receive a transcript afterwards of what we discussed. You know, and people forget these things. These things happen. So yeah. Um, so that's my long-winded answer as to how they ended up getting meeting recordings uploaded to ChatGPT. Yeah, it's it's definitely easy to forget, particularly in that scenario. I can definitely see that happening. But at the end of the day, I think the the takeaway for this is you're going to start seeing policies and employment agreements or employee handbooks that you know have very strict rules on what can and can't be used, or you know, basically anything to that effect, because it's. Again, this is gonna—it's something that's gonna be very important moving forward because you don't want that scenario that you just proposed of, you know, some you know, everybody jumps off the call. You think you're just talking to one, one or multiple people, but there's also a recording that's gonna go out to all the other people, and that's a disaster scenario at that point. Right, and we've written those policies, right? We're already yeah. seeing those policies in, in handbooks, and right. whether it's separated or some specific one, um, or disclosures to, you know. If you want to disclose to whatever service you're providing that the use of AI and things like that. Yeah, right. That's something that we've, we've done as well. Yeah. 
So um, there's also this interesting. Uh, well, that's related to copyright. Well, let's let's I think let's dive into the copyright aspect. Unless was there anything else that we wanted to talk about before we? No, I think to that? we I think we've covered a lot of the the fun items at least. But yeah, the, let's let's jump into the copyright component. All right. So I, I it's it's probably one of the more common questions that uh, we get as attorneys uh, when we talk about AI is this copyright issue. It's I, I find it fascinating. Um, because the first thing is, is this concept of who owns the copyright of AI genera generated content. And that AI generated content could be in the form of an image. It could be in the form of a story, a short story that you read to your kids. So who owns that, right? And the proponents that suggest that the prompter um, is the one that owns that copyright. Well, let's back up. There's three categories of who could own the copyright of the work. First is nobody. In other words, it's not copyrightable. No one owns the copyright of that work. That's the first? <laughs> well, nobody. that's one of the options. <laughs> I would have made that third. That's fine. Keep yeah, yeah that's probably, I, I, probably, I probably made that backwards. That's right. Number two, well, that's the first thing that I, I thought of. Second is... Uh, <laughs> The second is, uh, and by the way, I'm definitely going at the backwards word. Let me let me <laughs> let me start over because uh, I was already thinking backwards. Okay, the first is that the person who put the prompt in, who asked to create this content, owns the work. Yeah. The second is the party that actually created the tools to create the copyright or to create the work owns the copyright. Yeah. Um. Uh, by the way, I, I lied. There's not three. There's four. Number three is that it is possible for two parties to own the copyright of one thing. Yeah. They have joint ownership. Or number four, which was number one, but now <laughs> is number four, is Nobody. no one owns it. Okay. We, call that so a, now, we call that a lose-lose. <laughs> lose-lose situation. No one's so, so interesting enough, um, the, the most recent case under the copyright office that it took, they actually took the opinion of the lose-lose situation. Um, and in the sense that they did, they felt that there wasn't enough human being or human touch, human direction given to it in order to establish this. And so one of the ways that I explain this to people is the analogy. And I think, I believe proponents actually use the same analogy is the, uh, is the concept of a, of someone taking a, a picture of a, uh, with a camera. Right. Now, when I take my phone or other camera, click the button and take an image, it is well-established copyright law that I own the copyright rights. That's redundant, but the copyrights to that image, right. Right? right? I can reproduce it and so forth. And so if anyone's ever gotten photos for themselves and um, paid a photographer to do that, everyone knows that like you actually have to get copyright assignment in order to be able to use those photos. Otherwise, just because they're pictures of you doesn't mean that you own the copyright. Mm -hmm. The photographer owns the copyright. And no one's going to argue that Sony, the manufacturer of the camera, or Samsung, the manufacturer of your phone, or Apple, owns the copyright images. That No one would make that suggestion. So that's why I think when it comes to the creators of the AI model, it probably doesn't make sense. Yeah. Right? You would agree. Yeah, I think the the two, when I was reading about this, too, the, the two... Um, previous instances that came to mind one was the was it at the 
the Emmys. I'm trying to remember. This is that's not exactly the same, but remember the person took that self. Somebody took a selfie, and that was a whole ordeal. But the the one that yeah is more applicable. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the one that's more applicable. It was at the Emmys. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, I don't. I'm not good with that award stuff. The the one that's more applicable is you remember when the the monkey took that photo. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. that's because it's not a human. So I think that's more, you know, it's not a, a monkey's obviously not a machine either. But that's I think that's kind of the best analogy for this, at least at this point. Who knows what's going to happen down the road? But yeah, I think that's kind of where they're they, look, if it's not a human and it's a machine, you know, only humans can have copyrights. That's that's what they're that's what they're going with here. So. Right. And and so the so the main question, I think, for the Copyright Office and any future court that's going to actually um, challenge this. But one of the issues was, OK, well, how much human input was there? Yeah. When it comes to clicking a camera, um, you know, it's pretty predictable what is going to be produced once you click that camera. Right. And it requires some kind of human um, processes to do that. Not to say that doesn't require some you know, frankly, intelligence to be able to put in the correct prompt. Um, we've already talked about how, you know, phrasing your prompt incorrectly can produce hallucinations and and put results that you know, don't make any sense. But there's, I think the, the language that the U.S. Copyright Office uh, used was that it argued that not the human is the true author of these cases. Um, one second here. Yeah, the oh, the stating that the AI systems operate in an unpredictable way, rather than being guided by tools. And I think that's the distinction that they made. Yeah, uh, the the line I had pulled was it's in line with previous decisions that require human authors. So, I mean, it's, like I said, they're looking at it as a machine. But yeah, it's at, at what degree is was it used? And there, there's a lot of, I mean, this this is obviously not a, res, a fully resolved. Uh, ruling on how, what's going to happen at the end of the day. It could, it could obviously evolve over time too, but at least that's where it stands today, you know, October, 2023. Yeah. And I, I have mixed feelings about it. Like when it comes to the monkey, by the way, I, did we explain the, the, the story of the whole monkey selfie thing is that literally, I think some monkey got a hold of someone's camera, yeah. messed with it. It took, it ended up taking a picture of, itself right right and um and so the big question is okay who owns this owns this photo and i think the end result was the same result in this case which was it, it was basically pushed out to the public domain meaning no one owned the actual photo um yeah i think we yeah. i i want to say we even talked about this on a podcast however many years ago i'm i know we at least wrote an article about it or something like yeah that. but we, anyway so but like to me, it's like um, for those who have kind of really spent a lot of time working with AI and actually creating content, um, it even though they're like one of the one of the ways that I've used it personally is look, I need to write a summary of these issues, and I put in ten bullet points that I want to basically write in a narrative format. Now. That's quite a bit of quite a bit of human input that I'm putting in. Right. If I if if I told like in other words, it's like it's the difference between going back to the child story analogy. If I say, hey, write me a children's story about a princess in a castle and make sure there's a unicorn in there, right? And that's all I said. And make it for make it five minutes long. 
and they produce a story. I can see that the re- the production of that that result has nothing to you know that's in the public domain. Yeah. But if I give ten points, okay, the I want the character's name to be this, you know, this and this. The age is this. Um, I want it to start out in this setting and basically outline an entire uh, uh, plot line to a story. I would want to own that copyright. I mean, I think that there that that is something a little bit different than what I think we're dealing with here. No, I, I, and I would agree with that. It's it's the level of of you know going back to what they said. It's a level of human input. If if you're basically telling them everything you want to have in in good detail, and they're just compiling it together. Versus you say, you know, write me a story. There's, there's a big difference between those two at the end of the day, particularly from the yeah. copyright perspective. And then, of course, it produces a result. You start tailoring it like, oh, I don't like that person's name or change this section and this yeah. and that. And you start making changes. Then it's like, okay, well, because what's interesting, if, if you took that same selfie and of that monkey and started modifying it, you know, creating a derivative work from a public domain, then you can actually own the copyright of that derivative work. That just blew my mind. I mean, that's crazy, right? I mean, think yeah. about that. Well, I mean, and along those lines, the a copyright is an original original work of authorship. So it's, yeah, if, the, the more obviously, the more that you kind of keep feeding into it or fine tuning it or adding more, you're, you're def- I think you're definitely right. It, it becomes more and more likely that it's going to look like it's your actual ownership of that, of those rights. Right. And it's curious, like, that I feel like that's a main, that would be one main way to get around this whole copyright thing is basically creating a derivative work from the yeah. original. In other words, and see, the, the main case that was, uh, that it was at issue was, um, I think it was an image or a painting of some sort. Yeah. And so if you produce the, if you produce the image, and didn't share that image with anybody else. So no one has a copy of it and then alter it and create a, you know, create an original piece of work from that content. Um, I think you can probably get that copyright. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it's going to, we're going to see, there's going to be a lot of examples in the next yeah. few years. And we're, we're definitely going to, it's not going to be a black and white thing. No, it will not. Um, I think some of the things that we might have, I, I wanted to talk about a little bit is more about data privacy and leakage. We talked about the Samsung case, but something kind of disturbing has been happening um, in particular with, there's been some data leaks on a, multiple cases. So for example, for let's go back to ChatGPT. They actually updated their terms of service. Later on, they were actually using the data that you were submitting to train their model. Mm-hmm. They don't do that anymore. Uh, and they've also restricted the access as well. But I remember when Google Bard came out. So that's Google's version of AI. And one of the things that they did right away was tap it into also their search engines, which, of course, would be very helpful. But one of the things that it said um, in the when you were signing up in the terms of conditions, Google tends to be pretty straightforward and disclosing and using plain language. ChatGPT, I think, is there now. It wasn't at first. But it basically said that there may be human beings that are reading 
your props for purposes of, of maybe making it better. And that definitely gave me pause before opting in, which I've totally done that, of course, because I'm like, everyone knows everything about me anyway, at least some people <laughs> do. And so, um, <laughs> but like, you know, that kind of, so they did, they did the right thing first by disclosing it, not only disclosing it in the terms of service, but actually putting it out there so that people are, are clear. And this is a good lesson for anybody writing a privacy policy or terms and conditions. And then especially if you're building an app that is tapping into GP, ChatGPT's API and things like that, understanding how to pass along those terms and conditions and privacy policies that match what you're agreeing to with these different models. But one of the most scary things that I think is out there that I think everyone should be concerned of is that these AI models are using data that is not readily accessible to um, the, the world. Yeah, For example, right. and I, now I'm keep switching back and forth to copyright. One of the big lawsuits going on right now is, is Sarah Silverman is suggesting that uh, these AI models have basically able, the reason she knows this, she's, she, she believes that they have access to her entire book and that her proof is, is based upon, or I, I guess she wrote a book and uh, they're able to summarize it and they can only summarize it if they had access to the entire copy of it. And by doing that, you know, is she infringing? But let me, let me, let me get back to that in a second. Um, so there is suggestion that a lot of these AI models are using data that can only be found in the dark web, for example, or these massive databases that are, again, not easily accessible by, by most people. And of course, the dark web contains a lot of data that, for example, has been hacked and then released out there. And so if you think about it, if I went on GPT and asked the question, what is Elon Musk's uh, social security number? I guarantee you somewhere on the internet, his social security number is out there. And if the AI model has used or accessed that data, in theory, it could produce his social security number. Now, ChatGPT and others have already put in protections to disallow you to do that. But what if those protections weren't there? And what if it wasn't just Elon Musk's social security number? What if it was your social security number? What if it was your personal address and your phone number? What if it was the marketing data that maybe leaked on the internet and I can access, well, what did you purchase for lunch yesterday? Which I had a sandwich. So I don't know if you, you don't even, to know that. But You don't even usually don't eat lunch, I thought. No, actually, I did. That was a lot. I did <laughs> have lunch today. I had a poke bowl. Okay. But um, uh, that's why I was, when I was trying to think of what I ate yesterday, I just made something up. A sandwich, something <laughs> That's, <today>. yeah, standard. <laughs> so caught, caught me in a lie. But I did have a poke, poke bowl for lunch. It was very good. Very good. Um, so I forgot what we were talking about, something about AI, but, but yeah, so you get my point. It, it, it's, it's, to me, it's, that is the scary aspect of, of this whole thing. I mean, there's a lot of scary aspect of, of it, but if you, I, it's really hard to control, yeah. especially bad actors. And I, I, I we might've mentioned this earlier, but just the, the gravity of it. I don't think the majority of people understand it. You know, there's, there's, there's. One thing where people are inputting information they shouldn't be inputting, like we talked about with employees, like you were mentioning, if it's information that 
is on the dark web or you don't think is readily or to your knowledge is not readily available well guess what it could be and it's going to be it's going to be a major thing so we're i I don't know what precautions are ultimately going to be put in place for this but i don't know i don't think you can it's uh, to me it's always the tool is always going to outpace any sort of ways to prevent it i think at the end of the day so it's something to keep in mind and but you know uh it gets adjusted right 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 the big thing he you know when when social media and the internet came out one of the big things was okay are we going to be able to hold accountable internet companies from the content that other users are producing and if we did not only would it stifle free speech, it would be almost impossible for these internet companies to, to regulate it or to actually impose it without really shutting it down. And, um, and so, that, so, so that's been kind of well-settled law, even though there's been discussion of getting rid of that kind of uh, uh, immunization of liability. But similarly, like, okay, if you have a copyright, if, if you have an open AI that generates content, can you hold that company responsible for copyright infringement. And so it's interesting how this is this is really kind of really fresh information. So forgive us of, a, of the details because it's moving pretty fast. But Microsoft, for example, they, um, they actually, I have it here. So Microsoft agreed to foot the bills of any of its Copilot customers. I'm not even familiar with Copilot, yeah. um, who are sued for artificially generating content that might open them up to copyright infringement. And I mean, first of all, that's that's an incredible position for Microsoft. Significant, very. I mean, that's you wouldn't expect that. That's I. <laughs> yeah, especially from a big company like that, I can see. But like, so. But I understand the position because from a legal perspective, it to me, it makes sense. So first of all, going back to Sarah Silverman's um, position, she's suggesting that, okay, the only way that this AI model could have done what they did is that they would have had detailed access or a full access to the entire book, mm-hmm. which may have been done illegally, okay? And then it's able to produce this detailed synopsis of the book for others without so now the question is two things. One is the access to the book itself. That may or may not be illegal, right? Um, but at the same time, like a lot of this stuff, you can go read a book, you can go copy a book, for, you know, and, and memorize it and so forth, but you're not publishing the book. And it's really that publishing that um, is, is, is the big issue where the real financial penalties come into play. It's not to say that if you copy a video game or copy a movie and watch it for yourself, you're not violating copyright law. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But when it comes to the actual real financial penalties. But second is that it's producing a detailed synopsis. It's not reproducing the entire book. It's reproducing a summary. And the big proponents of, you know, in, on the side of AI, these AI models is suggesting that this falls well within the rules of fair use, yeah, right? right. And some of, some of the factors of fair use is the purpose of it, the nature of the copyrighted work, the, the, por- the portion used. And in theory, if most generative AI models, if it's, if it's doing its job and uh, it's creating a summary or creating a work that's derived from something else, it's going to be incredibly unique. And, and so the question is, of course, the Sarah Silverman's of the world or others that are on her, and there's, there's multiple lawsuits. She was one of the first kind of main ones, 
But the question is, okay, are these actually derivative works? And going back to our monkey photo, where you're going from a public domain, you modify that and creating a derivative work. Uh, that's one thing. But if you take from someone else's work and then build a derivative work, then that's not the same. Yeah. And I think that that's going to be the argument from people like Sarah Silverman and things like that. No, I agree. It's and, um, there, there, there definitely is a clear difference between those two ideas. But yeah, we'll have to see how this all plays out. I think hers was even a class action lawsuit. So I imagine she yeah. got other, um, I don't know if it was only comedians or writers or however she wants to be classified uh, to go along too. But this is good. That, that'll be the interesting thing. We, we talked about it at the forefront, but you know, for if you want to be a stand-up comedian, you could essentially just say, you know, I want to make a joke with, with this stuff and it'll probably produce something that at least would get a laugh. So this, right. this, this was her book, so it's, a, it's different, but just thinking along those lines yeah. and how it's going to, what's going to change over time. And, and there's one more category uh, that I think is just frankly fascinating. It's this idea of, and I've, I've tried this myself, I have personal experience, again, going back to reading to my children, is so, so okay, going back to the, the story is I produce a story, but then I ask it, write it in the style of Dr. Seuss, mm. right? Um, and it is, I mean, it's amazing. Obviously, Dr. Seuss has a very right. specific writing style. Right. And of course, any human being can replicate that. And But ChatGPT does a phenomenal job in doing so. And what's interesting, I, I don't know if you've done, if you've done it, like they have a Dr. Seuss, um, they have books that weren't written by Dr. Seuss, but it like has a Dr. Seuss kind of publishing company. And okay. the style is Dr. Seuss, but it wasn't written by Dr. Seuss, right? Okay. And so they already have that already. But so similarly, there was a song, and this became a hugely popular song. Um, it was an AI-generated song called Heart on My Sleeve, which basically um, imitated Drake and The Weeknd together. And it was actually submitted for consideration to the Grammy Awards. Yeah. And of course, the question is, is like, okay, well, number one, who owns the copyright of that? Right. Number two, is that allowed? Like, <laughs> hey, if I'm the Drake, I'm the Drake, if I'm Drake, I'm sure he would like to be called the Drake. Yeah. I'm sure Drake and The Weeknd are like, uh, you know, <laughs> not too thrilled that basically a, a, a computer could basically replace us. Um, and because it, it was pretty popular. I mean, I've heard, I, I haven't even listened to myself, but I've heard people actually thought it sounded pretty good. Yeah. No, it's, I remember that being, so I remember a couple of things from that. There, um, a lot of, as you can imagine, a lot of artists were not happy with that, but I, I forget which one it was. There was one artist in particular that encouraged it and said, Hey, you know, make these AI generations for me for, with my, you know, my voice. And if it's good, I'll put it out. Like the, the, I, I'm trying to remember who it was. Yeah, I can't, I, I got to listen to this. Have you, have you heard this before yet? Part of my sleeve? Uh, I might have when it came out. Here, I'm listening to it now. I came out with my ex like Selena, the flat. Eh? Bumping Justin Bieber, the fever and left. Eh? She know what she need or her need or she blessed. Eh? Give it my best. Eh? Hey, 
Metro made the beat, so you know that it's gon' slap, ay, yeah, it's gon' slap, ay, time, run it back. Talking to a diva, yeah, she on my nerves. She think that I need her, kick her to the curb. All I know is you could have had the world, had the world, yeah, you were my... It's pretty, it's, uh, I, I, it's, like, catchy, it's, like, it has a very catchy beat to it. Yeah. And it sounds just like Drake. I mean, it's pretty crazy. Oh, here's another one. Hey There Delilah by uh, Kanye <laughs> I, West. So I did listen to that one because it. I was just curious. It, it's, it does sound exactly, you, it sounds exactly like him. It's, 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 it's okay. eerie. Yeah. Let me, let me listen to this one. Hey there, Delilah, what's it like in New York City? I'm a thousand miles away, but girl, tonight you look so pretty. Yes, you do. Times Square can't shine as bright as you. I swear it's true. Hey there, Delilah, don't you worry about the distance. I'm right there if you get lonely. Give the song another listen. Close your eyes. Listen to my voice, it's my disguise. I'm by your side. Oh, it's what you do to me. 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 What you do to me. He's a bad singer. His voice is good, and I thought, and it sounds like him. Huh? I thought his voice was actually pretty. I, th- I think his voice is better than uh, most of the. I don't think his voice is nice. Well, no, in in, in this verse, but it definitely sounds like him. Yeah, I, I think his voice is better in this song than his songs in general. Oh, normal. Yeah. Okay, this one is "Kill Bill" by Ariana Grande. Now she has a good voice, so let's see how they produced it. That'd be, and I think her voice would be a good test. Yeah, that's that's probably true. Now, is Kill Bill an actual real song or is this a new song? I don't even know. I think it is. You think it's what? I think it's a. There's like a, a real another song. song called Kill Bill. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a, it, it says in the thing. It's uh, it's it's I don't know. It says S Z S Z A I don't know if it's supposed to. Oh, that's that's the original artists. Vanessa's going to have to help us out on this one. I don't. Yeah, I wish I knew the original song. I could judge it better. But to go back, what I was saying it was actually to to bring it back full circle. The the artist I was thinking of, her name is Grimes, which I don't know if that's I don't know if she's married to Elon Musk, but I think they're that's the she's the mother of their child. So she and okay. she offered yeah. to split 
royalty. She was promoting it and said she'll split royalties 50% on any successful AI generated song that uses her voice. So some, some musicians are embracing it. I mean, why not? It's if it sounds okay. Original. I mean, I legally sound smart. I mean, we joked at the beginning of the uh, podcast, but if, uh, if we can get to a point where this whole podcast is AI generated, and then instead of yes. someone listening always, to it, keep it sound, keep it a smart. summary of the podcast itself that's generated by AI, or high, or some AI reads the summary for them, then it's like it's just gonna be computers talking to a computer. It's gonna be awesome. You just listened to Legally Sound Smart Business with Asar Pasha and Matt Staub. For more information about the podcast, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com. This podcast is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening to or engaging with the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice but rather is produced for entertainment and educational purposes only. Do not rely on the information on this podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and does not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. This podcast may contain portrayals of clients by non-clients, reenactment of scenes, and persons which are not actual or authentic, and depictions which are a dramatization.